elderly couple, an elderly couple was sitting in a wedding reception celebrating their 70 years of marriage. It was a lot of noise. Their kids had put on this uh, event, a lot of noise, a lot of celebration. And as they're sitting there looking at each other, the, uh, the wife smiled and she looked over at her husband and said, I'm proud of you. He said to her, what? I can't hear you. <laughs> All the wives are laughing right now. And uh, the, the wife said it again, this time a little bit louder. She said, I said, I'm, I'm proud of you. And finally, he said, listen, with all this noise, I can't hear you. Would you speak up? And she, almost shouting, said, I said, I'm proud of you. And he said, well, I'm tired of you, too. (laughs) And I hope this morning that you don't look at the platform and say, well, I'm tired of old Pastor Moss. He keeps showing up here all the time. But uh, I'm glad to be with you today. While uh, Pastor David and Pastor Chad are off to the Western Michigan camp at Warner Camp, historic Grand Junction camp there, and uh, he sent me a text a little while ago just cheering me on, and uh, anyhow, they're up there enjoying the raindrops, and we're here in a nice environment. I I preached a camp meeting once in Wisconsin, and you know... um, Every night, it seemed every night, I'd get, get it up, and I'd be partway through my sermon, and a mouse would run across the platform. <laughs> and finally, I said, well, at least the mouse comes forward in this service when we ask people to pray. Well, today, uh, we're continuing this series, this great summer series. And by the way, we say hello to those of you who are online and those who are listening by the radio today. And this summer series, called Summer School, is a reminder of the great things that we learned early in life that sometimes have great spiritual impact if we would just learn them again. Robert Fulgham, in his uh, historic little book uh, that was a bestseller, said, everything I really needed to know I learned in kindergarten, and one of those things is share everything. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, some people seem to be born with a propensity to a magnanimous spirit. Renee and I have five grandsons and three granddaughters, and three of those grandsons are brothers under the same roof. Today, two of them are nine and one is ten. You can only imagine what the food bill is going to be like in that house in just a couple of more years. But when these kids were very, very small, we noticed a magnanimous trait in one of the brothers who will remain nameless to protect the guilty. What, here's a couple of instances. Renee was playing a game with the boys, and they were trying to figure out who would start first, and so she had them draw straws. And uh, this one boy drew the winning straw, much to the lament and frustration of his brother, in which he calmly handed it to him and said, here, you go first. And we were amazed. He was a preschooler at that time. Another instance when, you know, when birthdays come around and kids are all very small, it's a little hard to figure out how come one guy has a pile of presents in front of him and the others don't. And one little brother was kind of sulking and kind of struggling with this concept. And this little magnanimous lad pushed one of his birthday gifts in front of his brother said, here, you open it. 
And uh, we see these traits again and again, and we recognize that some people are born, it seems, with a, with a bent towards sharing and being magnanimous, and everyone else has to work at it. And what we're going to be looking at today is a scriptural text that reminds us of what God wants to develop inside of us, this spirit of caring for others more than ourselves. Now, the Bible is full of these descriptions of selfless giving. In fact, it was difficult for me to think about what text I would choose today. Would I choose the Good Samaritan? Would I choose the text of the little boy who offered up his lunch? Would I choose the text of the early church when people sold all of their possessions and their land and they came and they laid the money at the apostles' feet? Or would I choose the Old Testament passage when Moses told the people who were bringing their offerings, it's enough, stop giving. And on and on goes these stories in the Bible, and maybe you have some examples floating around in your mind. But I've settled on a text from the Old Testament from 1 Kings. And I'd like you to open your Bible, if you would, to 1 Kings chapter 17. This passage of Scripture always touches my heart every time I read it. Perhaps some of it is because I've been to Lebanon, to this part of the world, and I can kind of picture some of the, the scenery and the background of this particular text. We're, we're going to 1 Kings 17, beginning at verse 8. There's a great famine going on in the land because of Elijah calling down God's judgment on the on the prideful behavior of leaders in Israel. And this famine spreads through all the land. And here's what you see. Then the Lord said to Elijah, verse 8, Go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath. There he arrived at the gates of the city, of the village. He saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, Would you please bring me a little water in a cup? And as she was going to get it, he called to her, Bring me a bite of bread, too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house and have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, then my son and I will die. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. Imagine the preacher saying that to the, feed me first, you starving widow. But then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did, just as Elijah had said. And she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Well, this is the word of the Lord today, and it has four truths 
that I want you to learn from this text that I believe applies to every one of our lives. These are spiritual truths, abiding truths throughout all the generations. The first truth is this. God often teaches his lessons through unlikely persons. So he sent Elijah out of Israel into the land of the Phoenicians near Sidon to a city called, a village called Zarephath. And he went to a widow who did not know and a people who did not know the God of Israel. And God made himself known in unlikely ways. You know, this is true in our world today. We see God making himself evident among the Gentiles, among, among the unbelievers. We, we hear in the Muslim world of people having miraculous conversions because they have a vision in the night of the Lord Jesus coming to speak with them. We, we hear these reports, not so much in the news, but if you follow along in the Christian media, you learn a lot. And here's what I want to say. Verse 9, a severe drought. The Lord said to Elijah, go and live in this village where there is a severe drought, where he was not known. And verse 12 tells us that the widow recognized the man of God. She said, I swear by the Lord your God. Notice that. I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. She wasn't a follower of the Lord God Jehovah, but she knew who he was because the beginning of the text said that God had worked in her heart. Which leads us to the second truth that I want you to think about today, which is this. Altruism is a primary trait in godly character. The beginning of our text, the Lord told Elijah, I have instructed a widow there to feed you. God had done some kind of a work in her heart. And I want to say that when God does a work in your heart, he leads you to altruism. Now, what is altruism? Just make sure we're in the same definition today. Look at this definition. Altruism is when we act to promote someone else's welfare, even at the risk or cost to ourselves. Now, that's the person in the workplace who said, well, if we have to reduce forces here in order for this company to survive, so be it. I am employable. I can work elsewhere. That's altruism. When you recognize that someone has a need and you recognize that it would be a great inconvenience for you, that's altruism. The Good Samaritan is a great example of altruism. The little boy who gave his lunch is an example of altruism. It's when we act to promote someone else's welfare at the risk or cost to ourselves. So Elijah was asked for two things that were very scarce here in our text. First he asked for bread, and then he asked for, wa for water. I mean, first he asked for water, then he asked for bread. In verse 12, she said, I don't have a single scrap of bread. She was hopeless. She was out of options. Have you ever felt hopeless and out of options? Now, she was of the opinion, I have nothing and I am nothing. 
She was a widow. And in that Middle Eastern culture, without a husband, if you are a widow, you really have nothing and you really are nothing. So that was her self-esteem. That was her attitude towards life. But sometimes we feel hopeless. We feel that we run out of things. And when we worry if we run out of gas or we run out of food or we run out of the provisions of life. But sometimes we run out of ideas. Sometimes we run out of self-esteem. We run out of energy. We just run out and we feel that we are flat out. Maybe some of you listening to this message today have, are just saying that. I'm just at the bottom of the barrel. I've just run out. I've run out of inspiration. I've run out of ideas. I need some help. I believe this message will help you because God is saying to you, if you'll follow him, he's going to show you himself in new ways. See, we come to the house of the Lord today and we say, Lord, I, I give myself to you. I worship you. I don't know what to do. I'm out. I'm empty. But Lord, I believe that you're going to show me the way. You know, I've often said when you come to worship, it reminds me of whose we are. We belong to the Lord. And it reminds, me, reminds us of who we are, the people of God, the children of the Lord. And we come into the house of worship and it renews us and it, it re, recalibrates our life for the days ahead. We are needed to be reminded of this. And here's the hinge verse coming up. Look at verse 15. So she did as Elijah said. That's the whole hinge right there. Because if we will do what God says, and you say, well, wait a minute. She was just doing what the prophet said. But you see, he was the prophet of God. Have you ever broken down the name Elijah? Eli comes from Elohim, the, the Hebrew name of God, and Jah from Jehovah. And so you see, Elijah is the name of God in the prophet of God who is giving her this command and she did as Elijah said. That's the hinge. And that's the hinge for your life as well. If you will do what the Lord says, how do we know what the Lord wants us to do? First, he's given us this incredible manual for a life called the Bible. And so if we're not in the Bible every day, if we're not reading the word we get off balance. We, we get out, out of sync. We don't remember who we are. So truth number three. As she did what Elijah said, she entered into the realm of provision by becoming a provider herself. Now this is one of the great mysteries of the Christian faith for me. It's very difficult to explain, but it's certainly wonderful to experience. You see, God calls us to be providers, not because he's out of resources, but because he's trying to develop character within us. He's trying to develop altruism within us. God wants us to understand that it's like Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, the first sentence, it's not about you. What God is trying to develop in us is that it's not about what we acquire, it's not about what we have, it's not about where we go, what we do, but it's really about how do we serve. And so she began to serve, here a Gentile, an unbeliever, and she began to experience God's provision. 
God's promises are true for people who are in the early stages of their faith development. We don't know the end of the story, but I imagine that she became a follower of Jehovah when you read her whole story. But she entered what I call the realm of provision. Look at the assurance that Elijah gave to her in verse 13. He said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Because, you know, when we're challenged as the people of God to generosity, when we're challenged to follow the Lord because there are needs, sometimes we're afraid. You know, when, we, when, you, when you write a certain check at a certain time and you kind of gulp a little bit, you know, I, I recognize that feeling and yet I've, I live in the truth of God's provision that when you do so, what my parents taught me growing up is absolutely true. You cannot outgive God. You cannot. And so I've entered the realm of God's provision. Now I use the word provision, not abundance, because, because a human race has a pretty poor track record with abundance. We become self-absorbed. We become consumers. We become haughty. We become independent of God. But what God wants us to do is live in provision. That's why the Lord's prayer says, give us this day our daily bread. That's provision, not abundance. It's provision. It's trusting the Lord and living the adventure. God will provide. That's the message when you share and when you give. Now, some great friends of ours, Arden Sueta, served as missionaries in Haiti in 19. 84, they were leading a mission trip from a church from the States that came down to uh, Babanku, Haiti. I, I think I said that right. But I, who knows, right? Anyhow, they went to this city. They were building a church. And uh, the leaders, the missionaries thought this would be a great time to put together a meal to say thank you to all of the village people who helped us. So they put together this meal. They were, they were expecting about 100, and about 200 people showed up in line. Now, I worked with Art at Church of God Ministries. He's a dear friend. He has no reason in the world to exaggerate this story, what I'm about to tell you, about God's miraculous hand. So there's all these people lined up, and Sueta, she's dishing out rice from a big metal rice pot. And she gets down putting a, you know, a scoop on everybody's plate as they go by, and she looks down the line and she realizes that she has enough for about one or two more servings, and there's about 50 people who will be unserved. So he said, she just said, Lord, help me here. Scrape, scrape, scrape. She put a serving on the plate. Next one came, scrape, 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 put a serving on the plate. The next one, the next one, the next one. That pot of rice never ran out until all 50 were served. He said, Bob, it was a miraculous provision of God. It was a miraculous provision of God. And it makes me wonder how many times God has provided for us in ways that we don't even recognize. It may not be as obvious as the rice pot incident there in Haiti, but God certainly does provide when we are committed ourselves to be in the adventure of being providers 
in the kingdom of God, not just consumers of God's blessings. Which leads us into the fourth truth. God's provision is much more than physical. He provides the way for eternal life. Every time we come together here, there are people who bring concerns and needs. I had a brother talk to me just before the service asking us to pray. I'm asking you, church, to pray for his wife. She's struggling with dementia, with great breathing problems, and just let's just pause right now and pray. Lord, we recognize there are people in this room, such as this sister we've just mentioned, who need your divine touch, and we ask in Jesus' name that you will provide that healing and you will provide that help. We thank you for the gift of faith and for the brother who simply says, I believe prayer matters, and so we join with him. And for anyone here in this room who has a concern or a burden upon their heart and they need an encouragement from you, I pray you'll give it in Jesus' name. So as we, as we look at this idea that God's provision is much more than physical and that he provides the way to eternal life, you see that this woman already did experience God's provision as it says right here in verse 16. Look, there was always Enough, I underlined that word. There's always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. That's provision, isn't it? Just enough. God was providing for the daily bread. But when you read a little bit further in this text, you see that her son, whom she loved very much, became ill, and he got sicker and sicker, and he died. And she began to cry out, why is God punishing me? Why has he sent this prophet here to point out my sins? But Elijah took the son up to his room and laid across the body of the deceased son and prayed for him, and God brought the son back to life. Now, if you can't believe that, what business have you believing in the resurrected Jesus? You see, what I'm saying to you is that the ways of God are mysterious and unexplainable, but I say to you that here God was providing not just for physical needs, not just for healing and physical life, but that's not all that God has for you. I've sat with elderly people in nursing homes or in their private homes, and they've said things to me like, Pastor, I'm just ready to go home. See, they, they had their eyes on a more distant horizon. They, they were tired. Their body was weak. They were frail. But they were not broken in spirit. They were not de despondent. They were saying, I'm just ready. I'm ready to go home. And what the Lord provides for us is an eternal home. Because we are His people, free, forgiven from sin. He purchased it for us on the cross. What a privilege it is to stand in front of a beautiful cross and preach the gospel today. Because that's the whole message of our faith right there. He purchased our salvation when he died on the cross. And God was a provider. Look at this beautiful text from John 3.16. Read it aloud with me from this translation. We all know it in whatever translation, but let's read. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And so if you believe, 
And if you've accepted the gift of His provision for the payment of your sin, the promise is that you have eternal life. And when you surrender completely to Him, when you surrender completely to Him, He fills your life with the living Spirit of Jesus. We call Him the Holy Spirit. He comes and He indwells with you, and He transforms you. So today, as we think about this simple concept, share everything, we're not just talking about sharing everything materially. But I want you to focus with me on two questions today. The first question is this. What do you need from the Lord today? What do you need from the Lord today? You may need provision. You may need healing. You may need Jesus to forgive you for your sins and to give you the gift of eternal life. But what do you need? Understand you've come to the Lord's house. What do you need today? And the second thing, the second question is this. And what is God asking you to share? What is God asking you to share? To share your faith? To share your example? share your love, to share of your resources, to share of your time and your abilities for the kingdom? What is God asking you to share? I believe that as we answer these two questions that we have a great spiritual experience today. So I want to say to those of you who are listening to me, whether you're online or on the radio or here in this room, that if you would like spiritual help, you can just text the word Jesus to this number, 269-231-8692. And someone from our great staff will be in touch with you, and pray with you, and help you in the time when you are answering this question. What do I need from the Lord? And what does the Lord want me to share? Let's pray. Father, as we close this service, we ask that you will, in this song that we're about to to sing, that you'll speak to us and help us and draw us unto you. May this word be alive in our hearts as we leave from this place. In Jesus' name, amen.